Blog Talk Radio. morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to Hope for Today. My name is Naja E. Brown, your host, and we thank you for your support and participation. Hope for Today is an outreach program of Yield to the King Ministry, and our hope and prayer for our listening audience is that you hear something that is encouraging, life-altering, or prompting you to study the Word of God. We welcome your comments anytime, and you can reach us through our website at Yield to the King ministry.org. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. And I am so excited for this afternoon uh, because I am going to share with you uh, the time that I spent in Morocco just within the last couple of weeks. So before that, we will go ahead with the promotional material and lay the foundation. And it reads, right now, Christians are observing the Lenten season. Lent is a 40-day season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that begins on Ash Wednesday and ends at sundown on Holy Thursday. The following day is Good Friday, and then in celebration of our risen Savior, we rejoice on Resurrection Day Sunday, proclaiming, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, and this is the New American Standard Bible, says, So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. Verse 31 says, because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having finished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. Well, welcome, 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 and let's go ahead and get started. Uh, this may run over a little uh, over 15 minutes a bit, but but bear with me and stick with me. I think I have a, a good good message to share with you today. So the t- episode is entitled "Discovery of Morocco During Lent." I love the Lenten season. For me, Lent is a time to reflect. We can get so busy that we don't allow ourselves to reflect recalibrate, reset, or pause. Lent is a solemn religious observance in the Christian liturgical calendar commemorating the 40 days Jesus spent fasting, and this is according to the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and before his public ministry and during the time in which Jesus was tempted by Satan. And that story can be found in Matthew chapter 4. So during this Lenten season, I chose to fast. I pray about it and seek God's face and his purpose and design for me and what he wants me to accomplish or what he wants to accomplish through me during this 40-day period. So I chose to fast. And for me, it's a time to reflect and recalibrate. Life is so full of surprises, twists, and turns uh, that I have to intentionally and deliberately focus on my walk with God. I don't take it lightly, and I do take it very seriously. I desire a closer walk with the Lord and to meditate on his word day and night. Now, with that being said, many people ask me, 
why did you end up in Morocco, an Islamic country, on a nine-day tour? It's a good question, and I think I'm prepared to answer that question for you today. It was quite a trip indeed. Each time I travel abroad, it expands my horizons and the word of God is illuminated. I, I, it's really hard to describe, but that's how I feel. It just comes to life and it's just, it's lit up and it just seems so real to me. God's presence, power, and majesty are all around us. We just need to open our eyes and see who he is and believe what he is doing all around us. I have been blessed to travel many places, and I really didn't start traveling until I was up in age. I was actually 50 years old. But I've been to Mexico, China, India, Turkey, Thailand, Egypt, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, uh, Panama and the Virgin Islands, the Bahamas, and a few other domestic places in the United States. I actually love traveling. Uh, and the fact that uh, Morocco uh, is is an Islamic country was neither threatening nor uh, it didn't threaten me or, or my Christian belief system. And the same thing I was able to say while I was in Turkey, which is a 98% Muslim country, and also when I was in Thailand where they practice Buddhism. I feel very comfortable when I go to these different countries and get to experience the people, the life, the cult, the customs, and the culture. When I'm traveling, God's word comes alive and brings clarity to his word in a different way for me than when I'm in the United States. Now, I'm in the word, I teach the word, and so the word is very real, near, and dear to my heart. But I live in a, uh, and live and dwell in a place where Christianity is active. When I'm abroad, the Holy Spirit brings alive biblical precepts, promises, warnings, and teachings that I have an in-the-moment application for. For instance, when I was in India, this is what became very clear to me. The scripture found in Exodus 20, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 2, and also Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. This is one of the Ten Commandments, and it's found in the Hebrew Bible, and it's also found in the Old Testament of the Protestant Bible. So according to the Bible, the commandment was originally given to the ancient Israelites by Yahweh, and uh, it was a biblical, uh, it, it was a, it, it was the, it, at biblical Mount Sinai, actually, is what, is, is what I'm trying to say, after the exodus from the slavery in Egypt. And uh, it's found, again, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, and also Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. Do you know how many gods exist in India? There are over 33 million Hindu gods and goddesses in total. When traveling in India, here are some that I learned about. There was the god of Shiva, Vishnu, Ganesh, and Brahma. That's just the name of few. And maybe you've seen the statue of the elephant-headed Ganesh. Well, that's the god of beginnings and the remover of obstacles. Now, these gods and goddesses were called upon or mentioned during my tour in India. So I said, wow, okay, with all that's going on, you know, and there's so many gods, I said, okay, that particular passage, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, came to life, and it was real. I was thinking, okay, I wonder why. I wonder why God doesn't want us to have all of that um, 
access to all these gods and goddesses and all this confusion that can uh, be a part of that, you know, so that became real. So, okay, back to Morocco. Before I began the nine-day tour, I researched the customs, currency, languages, food, and religion. And I am always curious to know what is the most common religion that is practiced in a country where I'm traveling. In Morocco, the main religion is Islam, which is the state religion, and 99% of the population is Muslim, and virtually all of those are Sunni. In Morocco, there is a large Jewish presence, too. Jews who migrated to Morocco before pre-World War II and remained, and it's a huge huge presence in Morocco, and so the Jews would be uh, practicers of Judaism, and, and the Moroccans speak Moroccan Arabic, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, and English. I was amazed at the multilingual culture. The national flag is a red field, so the entire backdrop of this green emerald pentagon is a red field. When I first glanced at the flag, I thought it was the six-point star of David, but no, I realized that it, the star only has five points. Those are the little bits that I love to, to learn about. So I regularly heard the call of prayer as I did in Turkey. It didn't startle me in uh, Morocco like it did in Turkey the first time I heard it at 4 a.m. in the morning. And then the tour took us to the world-renowned Hassan II Grand Mosque, the largest mosque in Casablanca and the fifth largest mosque in the world. Its minaret is one of the tallest standing in the world at 210 meters. It was absolutely beautiful. So funny enough, in an Islamic country, and, uh, you know, learning new cultures and, uh, you know, people asking me the question, how does a Christian end up in a, you know, Muslim country and so on and so forth. I see God in all his power and majesty, even in the architecture of a mosque for religious people who don't even profess to know and worship him. I can look at the mosque and give God the glory. For natural resources, raw materials, the brain that designed the architectural and structural engineering, and the people who labored, and then ultimately the beauty that it beholds. It serves a purpose. Just, it, it's functional, just like a bridge, a monumental statue, or any other significant structure. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, I will say this. When I travel, I am constantly praying. My prayer in Morocco was that they would come to know Jesus, the Christ, and the pardon of their sins. I know that sounds bodacious and presumptuous, but I truly believe in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, which says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, Teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the Great Commission to which all Christians are held accountable. These trips that I take are not missionary trips per se, but I do profess Christ. I pray over my meals. I pray before we leave the hotel to tour, and then it comes out in my conversations with the other tourists. My prayer life actually increases while I'm in foreign countries. And then, of course, the types of questions I ask of the tour guides indicates that I know my biblical history for that particular region. 
So world history is rich and all its point and all of it points back to our heavenly Father who created the heavens and the earth in all his splendor and glory. Psalm 24, 1 through 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Number 2 says, For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now, Lent is a period of 40 days during which the Christians remember the events leading up to and including the death of Jesus Christ, whose life and teachings are the foundation of Christianity. The 40-day period is called Lent. It's after an old English word meaning lengthen. This is because at the time of year when it happens, this is when the days start getting longer as we approach summer. The Lenten season overall could be summed up as a time of reflection and asking for forgiveness. At the very end of the Lent, Christians, at the, excuse me, at the very end of the Lent, Christians prepared to celebrate Jesus' resurrection on Resurrection Day Sunday. Some people call it Easter Sunday. While I was in Morocco, the time zone did switch and the days were getting longer. We went from Pacific Standard Time to Pacific Daylight Time. So instead of Morocco being nine hours ahead, according to Pacific Standard Time, it was reduced to eight hours. The reason I know this is because when I travel, I try to stick to the time zone from which I came. It's a lot simpler for me to think of family members and friends and, you know, my church family, what they might be doing at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning versus, you know, 10 o'clock at night. But I want to go back and read again for you Acts 17, verse 30 through 31. As I mentioned in the promotional material, I feel it's worth mentioning again because it carries a lot of weight over my overall message today. So Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, New American Standard Version says, So having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent. Verse 31 says, Because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. And then in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, verse 9, Romans chapter 6, verse 9, New American Standard Bible, it says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer, uh, it, death no longer is master over him. See, death could not hold him because in the power of God the Father, Jesus was raised from the borrowed tomb, the grave, and resurrected from the dead. And we who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and his second coming can proclaim that death has no sting and the victory is won. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So in conclusion, God sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world. Christ is perfect in all his ways and was without sin. He is our ransom. He paid the price. Christ tasted suffering and endured persecution even to death on Calvary's cross. As John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, it reads, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the New King James Version, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where do you stand? Are you clothed in righteousness or unrighteousness? 
I pray that repentance, confession, belief, and acceptance of Jesus Christ as Redeemer, Savior, Lord, and Master is on your horizon, if not already, sooner than later. And with that, may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. God bless you.